1: If you have a preacher in your church that does not believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God, you need to fire him. You say, well, I can't fire him. Well, then you need to get out of that church. You say, well, I can't get out because grandpa's buried out in back. Well, you need to dig grandpa up and go bury him somewhere else.
2: And share him with others. Our pastor is Dudley Rutherford, and we join him right now with his message for us today.
1: I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Ezekiel chapter 2. God was the one, it wasn't anybody else, who put it in my heart to be a preacher. As a boy growing up in a preacher's home, my father never once ever said to me, son, you would, be, you would make a very good preacher. Dad never said that to me. He never said, son, you ought to go to Bible college, following your dad's footsteps. Never said that to me. Many of you know I was in the ninth grade, you know, I was 14, 15 years of age. It was a Sunday night. I was sitting in the back. Dad was preaching. I wasn't listening. I don't know the text. I don't know the sermon. I I didn't hear one word of my dad's sermon. I wasn't paying attention. During the invitation where we stand to sing, it was at that moment, the Holy Spirit of God came over me. And I knew at that moment that God was calling me into the ministry, and I actually stepped forward, and that was back in the days... Uh, where you step forward the preacher uh, had you stand and he told the whole church why you were coming like this is so and so they've come to be baptized and he would take the confession of faith right there Or they've come to join the church everybody say hello to steve and and wilma so i'm coming forward dad looks at me and he goes why are you why did you come forward son i said dad i've got a call to be a preacher i'm gonna be a preacher he looked at me It was like, son, I hope your church listens better than you listen. (laughs) But from that moment, from that moment in ninth grade till today, I've been diligent to that call of God upon my life. My first point I want you to know is that I have the greatest job in the whole world. I do. The greatest job in the whole world is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is no other job like it. You know, your doctor, you have a doctor, that's a pretty important job. Your doctor's job is to keep you alive for a few years. My job is to get you on the right path, introduce you to Jesus Christ, where you can live for all of eternity. Now, the doctor's job is important. I'm just saying my job is the most important. Now, the Bible is full. You don't know this, but it's full of stories. You've just never read them of where God called certain people into ministry. I want to read to you one of those. I could read you Daniel or uh, Isaiah's or Haggai or the 12 disciples. Uh, I could read Jeremiah's. But I I just want to read one of the many stories in the Bible of where God called someone into ministry. This is Ezekiel chapter 2, verse 1. It says, He, which is God, said to me, which is Ezekiel, Son of man, stand up on your feet, and I will speak to you. Verse 2, as he, God, spoke, the Spirit came unto me and raised me to my feet, and I heard him, God, speaking to me, Ezekiel. Verse 3, he, God, said, Son of man, I am sending you to the who? Who? to the Israelites, to a rebellious nation. Whenever God raises up a preacher, he's usually raising that preacher up to speak to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their fathers have been in revolt against me to this very day. Now look at verse 4. The people to whom I am sending you are obstinate and what? In other words, they're probably not going to do what you want them to do. But I want you to say to them, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. And I want you to know that every week I stand up with my Bible in my hand and I say to you, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. You see that? Now look at verse 5. This somehow encourages me. Whether they listen Or fail to listen. Don't you worry about that. They're, They're just to the core. They're rebellious. But at least they will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, son of man, do not be afraid. You see, most preachers are afraid to say what they need to say. But he says, don't you be afraid of them or their words. Do not be afraid, though briars and thorns. Now, he's not talking about the actual shrub or plant. He's actually calling the people. They're like briars or like thorns. They're all around you, and they, you live. Uh, Ezekiel, you're going to live among scorpions, people that are going to try to kill you. But do not be afraid of what they say or terrified by them, though they are a rebellious house. And That's what rebellious people do. You must speak my words to them. My second point is this. Our country needs great preaching. There isn't a problem we have in this country. And Lord knows we've got a lot of problems. The breakdown of the family unit, the redefinition of marriage, the destructive force of pornography, our unsecured borders, our loss of religious freedom, the spiraling debt, which is 18 plus trillion dollars in growing. The lack of value and respect for human life in this country, our overcrowded prisons, the liberal professors in our educational institutions, our disobedient children, and just basic immorality. There isn't a problem we have in this country that couldn't be solved with a generation of preachers who would preach God's word. What this world needs more than anything else is a group of soul-winning, sin-fighting, Christ-honoring, church-building, Bible-preaching preachers. I like what that one old preacher down south said. He got all confused. He was going to say, I was called to heal the sick and raise the dead and cast out the devil. But he got his tongue tied, and instead he said, God's called me to heal the dead and cast out the sick and raise the devil. (laughs) We need some ezekiel's who've been called of god to preach to a rebellious society we need some elijah's who've been with god and who can pray down fire from above we need some isaiah's whose lips have been touched with coals from off of heaven's altars we need some daniel's who'll stand against the king's decrees and will do things unpopular even if they're threatened to be thrown into a den of hungry lions we need some Hoseas who will preach that no matter how far you've drifted away from God, no matter how severe your sin, that God still longs for you to come home and be where you're supposed to be. We need some Jeremiahs who will weep and cry when they see the condition of the world. We need some Elishas who will serve under the power of the Holy Spirit and who will do miraculous things in the name of our Lord. We need some people like John the Baptist who will proclaim the coming of the Messiah and make themselves less, and pointing others to the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. We need some men like John who will give us a glimpse of heaven as seen in his writings in the book of Revelation. We need some men like Paul who will desire to take the gospel to both Jew and Gentile alike. We need preachers who will preach that hell is still hot, And that heaven is still real. And that sin is still wrong. And that the Bible is still the Word of God. And that Jesus is the only way to salvation. That's all our world needs. But number three, although it's the greatest job and most needed job, it's one of the most discouraging jobs in the whole world. There's not a week goes by that the average preacher doesn't think about quitting. It's usually on a Monday after he reads all the little cards that you guys write, all the things you complain about and don't like about him or the service or his family. Every week you're dealing with people's problems 24 hours a day. You're subject to people's criticisms. People that you dearly love break your heart. And even though there's great joy, and I have great joy in seeing so many lives change for the better, for some reason, it's, 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 it's balanced out by all the hurt that you experience when you see so many people who are falling away from God and not honoring God. Every preacher is sick on Sunday afternoon when he stops to think about all the people that weren't in church who should have been in church. No matter how good your sermon is, it's never good enough. There are never enough hours in a day. It's a lot of heartache. There's a lot of wayward sheep. And it's not just a job, you see, because every single person that I see, I realize that eternity is in the balance. The circle of pastors that I run around with, most of them, you'll never know this, but behind closed doors, they're discouraged. They're discouraged because their churches don't grow the way they think they ought to grow. They're discouraged because they always believe the the resources are, are lacking in their personal life and in their church. They struggle with the board. They struggle with the staff. They struggle with disunity and lack of loyalty. I'm talking to a pastor right now. His church is twice the size of this church. They have twice the people that we have, twice the space that we have, twice the influence that we have, and he's so discouraged, he's ready to quit. I've told him many times, brother, don't quit. Just hang in there. Things will get better. But he is ready to walk out that door. The average minister, and I want you to know I'm not average. But the average minister, the average minister lasts out of church for less than two years. That's all he makes it. Before he gets run out or before he gets so discouraged, he quits and goes to another church. The average length that a man is in ministry before he just quits altogether is about seven or eight years. In other words, he says a man sits here, he goes, I feel like I'm supposed to be a minister. Okay. He goes to Bible college. He goes for four years. He gets into that first church and they just beat him up and chew him up and spit him out. And he, so he goes to the second church. He's there for about a year and a half. He goes to a third church. And then by the time he gets about to the fourth church and he gets run out of there, He is so discouraged, he just gives up and goes and does something. He doesn't care what he does. He's just not going to do ministry any longer. That's the average minister. Most of the people that went to Bible college with me are no longer uh, in the ministry whatsoever. It's just a very discouraging job. I want you to know it's time to fire your preacher. I've got this. It's called a chain letter. You know what a chain letter is? It's a chain letter to get rid of your preacher. Here's how it goes. If you don't like your minister, simply add your name to the bottom of this list and send this letter to six other churches. Tie your minister up and send him to the church whose name is listed on the top of this list. In four weeks, you will receive 16,432 ministers, one of which you should like. Please, please do not break this chain letter. One church in Wyoming broke the chain and got their old minister back. Now, my fourth point is this, and when I say time to fire your preacher, what I mean by that is time to fire him up. It's time to fire him up. If you would fire him up, you wouldn't have to fire him. Now, I want to make something clear. I hope you're listening. If you have a preacher in your church that does not believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God, you need to fire him. You say, well, I can't fire him. Well, then you need to get out of that church. You say, well, I can't get out because Grandpa's buried out and back. Well, you need to dig Grandpa up and go bury him somewhere else. <laughs> and find you a church that believes that the Word of God is the Word of God. And I want to tell you that if you have in your church a preacher who believes that every word is the inspired Word of God, You need to support him, help him, love him, defend him, honor him. Don't let others criticize. Don't fire him. Fire him up. So I'm going to give you a list of ways to fire your preacher up. And I apologize in any way if this sermon seems self-serving. Don't forget this series is heart to heart. And so what I want to just tell you, if this is bothering you, then you forget about me. You forget about me. I want you to think about all the pastors in the other churches of this city. I want you to think about all the other pastors on this church staff. I want you to think if you're a visitor here, and you don't even go to this church, I want you to think about the pastor of the church that you belong to. I want you to think about all the former pastors of this church. I want you to think about the future pastors of this church who aren't even here yet, that one day will be here. And if you want, you can think about me a little. (laughs) Number one write this down. You need to pray for your pastor if you want to fire him up. If you have a preacher who preaches the Word of God, I hope you're listening. Every time, not sometimes, every time he gets into the pulpit, you should pray, dear Lord, thank you that in our pulpit is a man who believes in the Word of God, who exalts Christ, who fights sin, who is not politically correct, who loves his family, who cares about the lost, who preaches the truth, who lifts up Jesus Christ. And Lord, would you bless him and protect him and provide for him and honor him and guide him? And Lord, no matter what he's going through, would you be with him? That's the prayer you ought to pray every single time you go to church. I want you to know that it's like a light switch. It's like a switch. I can tell. I can tell. When people are praying for me, I just, I don't know, just the Holy Spirit of God, I can just sense when a life group is praying for me, when a family is praying for me, when you are praying for me, that's why I blow you kisses, I want to thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for your prayers. The Apostle Paul wrote these words in First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 25, he said, brothers, pray for us. At The church at Ephesus in chapter 6, verse 19 He said, pray for me that whenever I open my mouth, I may declare the word of God fearlessly. Oh, you ought to pray that prayer every week for your pastor. And in the book of Colossians, chapter 4, verse 3, he says, pray for us. He says it again in 2 Thessalonians, chapter 3, verse 1. He said, finally, brothers, pray for us. He says it again in Hebrews 13, verse 18. He says, pray for us so the number one thing on my list if you want to fire up your preacher pray for him number two write this down say amen once in a while i've seen some of you at the dodgers game i see you at the lakers game and the clippers game i see at the ucla games i see at the usc games there's not much to cheer about but i see you there i see you at your son's soccer game or your girl's softball game and you have to you cheer your children on oh good job go 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 you come to church and (laughs) say you know amen means the word amen means so be it it means i agree it means we're with you preacher It means you're not alone. What you just said, I agree. Amen. So it means thumbs up. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to the second book in the Bible. Exodus chapter 17. Exodus chapter 17. Genesis, Exodus chapter 17, verse 8. It says that the, the Amalekites, everybody say Amalekites. The dirty, rotten, stinking, filthy, low-down, good-for-nothing Amalekites. They came and they attacked. They attacked the blessed, God's people, the Israelites. Verse 9, Moses, who's getting up there in years, says to Joshua, who's his young mentor, Joshua, you're still young enough to fight. I want you to choose some of our men and go out and fight those dirty, rotten, stinking, filthy, low-down, good-for-nothing Amalekites. And tomorrow, I I know you think I I can't even get up on that hill, but tomorrow, I'm going to find my way and I'm going to stand on top of that hill, and in my hands, I'm going to hold, I'm going to hold the staff of God. Now, when I'm up here on this platform, in a sense, I'm on a hill. And it takes me a little way to get up because the stairs. I get up here. I'm not holding a staff. I'm holding something, I think, even greater than the staff of God. I'm holding the Word of God in my hands. And then he says, and so verse uh, uh, 10, Joshua fought those dirty, rotten, stinking, filthy, low-down, good-for-nothing Amalekites, as Moses had ordered. And Moses and Aaron and her. They went up there to the top of the hill, just like they said they would. And verse 11 reads, as long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. <laughs> but whenever he lowered his hands, while those dirty, rotten, stinking, filthy, low-down, good-for-nothing Amalekites were winning, Verse 12, when Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and they put it under him and he sat on it. And then, oh, Aaron blessed his heart and her blessed his heart. The Bible says they held his hands up, one on one side and one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. Verse 13 reads, so Joshua overcame those dirty, rotten, stinking, filthy, low-down, good-for-nothing Amalekites. I want you to know that when you say amen, in a sense, you're running up here on stage and you're holding up my hand. And you're saying, preacher, keep preaching, keep preaching, keep preaching. Amen. You're saying, preacher, we're in this thing with you. You're not, other, you're not here alone. Well, we want to be like Aaron and we want to be her. Did you know that when you say amen that the preacher preaches shorter? <laughs> Did you know that? That's true, because if he doesn't hear your amen, he thinks that you didn't get the point, and so he has to repeat the point again. I'll say that to you again. Some of you are really slow today. You see, when you don't say amen, the preacher thinks you didn't get the point, and so he has to repeat it again. So what happens is he ends up preaching twice as long. And if you'd only say, if you'd only say amen, what he thinks, he thinks, oh, they got the point. We'll go on to the next point in the sermon. Amen. No, 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 you don't understand. You see, if he hears an amen, he thinks that the people got the point, And so he goes on to the next point of the sermon.
2: these uncertain times, we know as Christians, there's great comfort available to us in the form of prayer. We have phone counselors standing by and ready to take your call. Our number is easy to dial. It's 888-818-4777. If you are unable to get through the first time you call, please be sure to try again. Our number again is 888-818-4777. If you would like more information about Pastor Dudley Rutherford, Shepherd Church, or this ministry, Be sure to visit our website, liftupjesus.com. Our address again is liftupjesus.com. We have a special gift for everyone listening today to help with your daily Bible reading. It's our Anchored Journal, a complete 365-day Bible reading guide and journal that will help you stay connected to God's Word throughout the coming year. It works with any version of the Bible you are currently reading. The Anchor Journal comes in a choice of colors and can be yours right now for a gift of any size to the Lift Up Jesus ministry. It's as simple as calling our toll-free number, 888-818-4777. You won't want to miss out on this limited time offer, so be sure to call right now. Our number again is 888-818-4777. The Anchor Journal can also be found on our website, liftupjesus.com. That address again is liftupjesus.com. Get yourself anchored to God's Word with your personal Anchor Journal today. I'm Kyle Welch. We invite you to join us every weekday at this time when we again lift up Jesus with Pastor Dudley.